Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. I'm faithful to the Lord. I'm growing in the Lord. I'm, I'm witnessing for the Lord, and seems like things are getting tougher. It seems like things are getting harder. Well, of course they are. He said that was going to happen. When you weren't walking with the Lord, you didn't have to wrestle with your flesh. You just submitted yourself to any fleshly desire you had. Well, maybe you restrained yourself for fear of consequence in some. In today's broadcast, Pastor Sam completes his message entitled, The Narrow Way. We begin in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. In today's teaching, we learn about what Jesus calls the narrow way and a warning about those who would keep us from it. Let's listen in. But the truth is, a life lived outside of Christ is a life lived in the flesh. But when you come to Christ, now your spirit is at war with your flesh. The Spirit of God dwells within every born-again believer in the flesh and the Spirit, we're told, man, they go at it day and night. Always, each of them wanting to dominate, to control. Now, the Spirit of God wants to control because, well, He knows what's best. He's trying to accomplish His purposes in and through your life. But the flesh wants to control because it used to. And you and I have to make a decision. Not only, though, do we have the problem with our flesh, we have a problem with the world. Because the world that used to love us and think we were so cool and so, you know, everything they thought, well, maybe they didn't think we were cool, we were deluded into thinking they did, though. And so, you know, you partied if you did in college and through that season and everybody thought you were happening and with it and all of a sudden you're... Well, I don't do that anymore. I don't want to do that. And, and then the mocking starts and then the, the ridicule starts and, and the persecution starts. And listen, Jesus said that was going to happen. He says, why are you surprised? If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they love me, they'll love you. And, and so we choose the narrow way because he is the way. And we choose the difficult path because that's the path we walk with him. And when we want to go the other direction, we're messing ourselves up. Now, there's another possibility here, an equally devastating and, well, actually more devastating, because if you're in fact going to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And uh, years ago, decades ago, when I was young, there was a song called 99 and a Half Just Won't Do. It's an awesome song. It said, you've got to have a hundred, you know. It's pretty much this is going to be the way it's going to be. And, and really, you need to know that two out of three will never cut it. Some people think, if I deny myself and I take up my cross... That will be enough for God. I don't really have to enter in through Jesus or follow after Jesus. I'll establish my own righteousness before God because, after all, I'm denying myself. I, I'm living for others. And that's what it means to take up your cross, by the way. It means that you are, are, are crucifying your old nature, your old self. You're identifying with Jesus who identified with you in death, in the death on the cross. Now you're identifying with him on the cross and you're beginning to live for others. Well, it's possible to, to deny yourself and take up your cross but never begin to follow Jesus. And I meet people like that all the time. They're religious people. And they think, well, I'm going to be okay because look at all I've left behind and look at all I'm doing. We're going to deal with this issue head on next time as we conclude chapter 7. 
But we don't want to be deluded into thinking just because we've made decisions to stop doing certain things and to start doing other things that we must be right in the sight of God. That's what the Pharisees thought, those religious leaders of Jesus' day. And if you've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. We need a righteousness that is acceptable to God, imputed by God. Well, in any case, there's a narrow and difficult way it leads to everlasting life. We are exhorted, we are commanded to make a decision and then live that decision. Narrow is the gate, difficult the way that leads to everlasting life. Now Jesus couples this with the danger of false prophets and it should be obvious to all of us why he does it. If we're out preaching and heralding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one's going to heaven except through Jesus. There are going to come some who say, well, that's just not true. There are lots of people who teach that you can get to heaven by being a good person. You can get to heaven by doing good works. In fact, outside of real Christianity, every religion is a system of man's works. Obedience to rules and regulations and restrictions and laws. Works of the flesh. Basically, what a cult teaches is that you just need to join them in order to be saved. You need to affiliate and connect with them, and then you need to do good works for them, and then ultimately God will receive you and accept you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that your best works, my best works, filthy rags, unacceptable in his sight. But, but it's what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for me that counts both now and in eternity. And so he gives us yet another command. This one's a present imperative, which means that we're to stay on guard, we're to be watching out, we're to stay alert, we're to be diligent. He says, beware of false prophets. As we go out, and I already shared, we will be going out. You know, the Bible says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Well, where do we start? In our Jerusalem, then our Judea, then our Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Our Jerusalem, hey, that's just where we live. That, that's, that's our neighborhood. That's, that's our, our community. Our, our Samaria, that would just be the extending communities around us. And our, our Judea, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's just moving even further out and ultimately into the whole world. But you need to know that it's not just preachers and pastors and evangelists and Sunday school teachers that are charged with the responsibility of sharing the gospel. And here's why. There are people every day of our lives going door to door with a false gospel, false prophets, Offering a false hope. The word here for false is pseudo. It literally means lying. He says they're lying prophets. They're deceivers. And, and tragically, we're told that those who are deceivers, evil men and imposters, will go from worse to worse. And in the midst of it, they will deceive and continue being deceived. I think there are a lot of sincere people caught up in cults. There are a lot of sincere people who really believe and honestly believe that they're good enough for God and that they've sacrificed and done enough and given up enough and 
But, but unless we go out and say, you know, that's not the case. Sometimes it's as easy as opening your own door and sitting down with them and saying, explain your whole thing to me. But do it in five minutes and then give me five minutes to explain mine. And here's something you have that no cultist has, that, that no one who is trying to earn their way to heaven through works or law or any of that has, that security in your relationship with Jesus. Can you imagine a married relationship where, where your security was your contract with the other person? I mean, you have that if you have a married certificate. It's a legal contract. But if, if your wife came and said, I'm hitting the road and said, oh, you can't go. I have the marriage certificate. She looked at like, yeah, see, let's see that stop me. No, your security in, in a married relationship is that your wife loves you. Her security is that you love her, that you've chosen to be together. You've pledged to live for and with one another the rest of your life. That's where security is, not in law, in love, not in stuff you do. But, but the heart you have for that person, the, the tenderness you express toward that person. And, and that's really how it is with God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Listen, when you get that, you realize, man, he loves me so much, he gave his son for me. Jesus died for me. He shed his blood for me. He went to the cross for me. He did that for you too. But it's not just for us to know and, and be secure in, but to share, to herald, to preach. And we're all commanded and called to do it. And so he warns us about pseudo-prophets, lying prophets, deceiving prophets. Why? They're counterfeits. They preach a counterfeit gospel that creates counterfeit Christians, that, that creates a counterfeit church, and ultimately... A counterfeit hope. See, they think they've entered in, but really they're on the broad path that leads to destruction. They may not be doing all the things the party crowd's doing, but they're still on the same path that leads to destruction. Now he says false prophets, they come in sheep's clothing. That can make them difficult to identify. And remember he told us just a, a week or so ago, judge not that you be not judged. We're not going to be able to say this person's going to hell or this person's definitely not for real. We're not to be committing that kind of judgment, but somebody said it and I think it makes sense. While we're not to judge one another, we are to be fruit inspectors. And he goes on in a moment to say, you will know them by their fruits you'll be able to recognize the difference between somebody who is representing the Lord and someone who's claiming to by the things they teach, the words they speak, by the way they live, by the works they do, by the witness they have, by the worship that they encourage. Now, we can look at a life and see, is it leading people to Jesus or is it leading people away from Jesus? You know, Jeremiah in his day was called by the Lord to prophesy to the people of God. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And, and from sort of a, you know, capitalistic perspective or a, you know, got to accomplish something perspective, it would appear that Jeremiah was a failure. See, the guy preached his entire ministry and, and nobody repented. There were no converts. It's like he kept telling people, turn, you're going you're gonna to perish, you're going to suffer. But there were other preachers and prophets in Jeremiah's day. And they were saying, 
Don't worry about him. He's, he's off his rocker. He's lost it. God's not going to judge you. You're his people. God's not going to discipline you. He loves you. You know, the Bible says if you're his, he will, in fact, discipline you. If you're without discipline, you're illegitimate and not his at all. So if you think, well, I can get away with sin, then you're thinking, well, I've entered into the narrow gate, but I'll walk the broad path. God's saying, that isn't going to happen. That's not going to work out for you. It will be miserable for you, and it will be devastating for people around you. But Jeremiah, in chapter 14, verses 14 through 16, you don't have to go there. As they were promising peace and as they were promoting all these things, both in chapter 14 and again in chapter 23, he says, listen, I have not sent them. I haven't spoken to them. They haven't stood in my presence. They're not representing me. And he says at one point, if they had stood in my presence, if they had listened to me, then they would have preached my word. And in fact, I got to read you this one. A lot of people think, man, Old Testament is just heavy and depressing. And listen, it is filled with encouragement and exhortations, wisdom from the people that did right and, and, and didn't do right. But, but he says, listen, this is in Jeremiah 23 and verse 21. He says, I've not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I've not spoken to them. Yet they prophesied, but if they had stood in my counsel, they had caused my people to hear my words. Then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Then a little later in that same chapter, he says, The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. But he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. And here you know he's contrasting the false and the true. The one who's just, well, he'd say, as they go saying, thus says the Lord, he's saying, you're dreaming. You, that's not me. You didn't stand in my presence. I didn't speak to you, and you're not speaking for me. He says, let the one who's had a dream, well, let him tell his dream. But the one who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Then he compares as in, you know, making sure we get that. What is the chaff, he says, to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? He's saying, what's the chaff to the wheat? How can we compare a false prophet to a, a true prophet? Well, wheat is, well, that's back to our, our, our fruitful, our, our vine, or, or, you know, a fruitful field picture. Chaff, it's worthless. It's useless. Youthless, but useless. <laughs> useless. I, that's a word. It just isn't the word I was looking for. So, so he says, but my word, man, it's like fire and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It accomplishes my will. Now, in the book of Acts, as... Paul meets with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He warns them. He says, know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He warns the elders to watch out. The same thing Jesus is warning all of us here to do. Beware of false prophets. He says, savage wolves will come in from without, not sparing the flock. 
And then he says, and men will rise up from among you speaking perverse things to draw disciples away after themselves. So he says, you're going to have problems from without and you're going to have problems from within. And he, and Jesus is telling us here, wolves come in sheep's clothing. I remember years ago, I guess it's Warren Wiersbe, first place I read or heard it. He said, listen, when you deal with a cultist and, and you're trying to figure out what's up, you need to know, same vocabulary, different dictionary. They claim to believe what you believe and, and, and they do so in relatively good conscience. You say, you believe Jesus is the only Savior? Oh, yeah. You believe he's the Son of God? Sure, I believe that. You believe, and, and you can ask them all sorts of questions and they'll say, sure, because... Here's the problem. They don't mean the same thing by those words. Same vocabulary, saved, forgiven, God, but, but a different dictionary. They mean something different by those terms. So we want to make sure we've got it right. And then having done so, we want to make sure we take it out there, that we share with others. Why? Multitudes, multitudes are on that broad path that leads to destruction. And and as long as we're bumping elbows and interacting with them, there's opportunity to say, hey, enter in through the narrow gate. Walk the difficult yet fruitful and wonderful path with the Lord Jesus. Beware of false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, inwardly ravenous wolves. They look and act and talk like Christians. And he says, but all you got to do is observe them for a while. Because he says, you'll know them by their fruits. The word for know is the word that talks about an experiential knowledge. Not just intuitive. It's not just, well, I kind of sense this person's not right on. No, he says, you will be able to observe that they're not right on. Neither their words, nor their works, nor their ways, their, their witness, their worship. None of it will line up if you just observe them long enough and close enough. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. And then he asked a question that can only be answered in the negative. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Remember that, what is the wheat to the chaff? It's the same type imagery. Hey, grapes, that reminds us that Jesus is the vine. The only fruit that comes forth in our lives is because we're connected with him. Grapes, useful, fruitful. Figs always a sign of prosperity and blessing in Scripture. But thorn bushes and thistles, listen, they're no good for fuel. You can't use them for cooking because they just burn up. You can't warm your house with them because they just burn up. They're good for nothing but to be burnt. And you only burn them because if you don't, well, the thorns and thistles, they're seed for more thorns and thistles. And he's saying that's what the false prophet is. He's a thorn. He's a thistle. There's no fruit. Then he tells us every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, don't misunderstand this. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is defined for us. Love in action, observable, long-suffering, patient, kind, all sorts of, you know, observable, demonstrable attributes. But, but he's saying a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And a good tree won't produce bad fruit. He's not saying that the unregenerate can't do good works. He already made clear earlier in our study last time, I believe, that, hey, 
Even evil men know how to give good things to their children. Even evil. Even evil. And so he's not saying a bad tree can't do good works. Uh, mixed metaphor kind of gets spacey. But, but, but the point is, unless you're connected to him, your works are unacceptable. Your works are evil in the sight of God. But you could do good to people. It goes back to that issue of denying yourself and, and taking up your cross. You can be the most self-sacrificing, most self-denying person, but still not connect with Jesus. You'll still be lost. But if you've connected with Jesus, you must be self-sacrificing. You can't be self-serving. You must, as he did, take up your cross and follow him. And so... He's saying, listen, if your life isn't producing good fruit, maybe the problem is the root. Have you entered in through the narrow door? Are you walking the difficult, narrow path that he set before you? Then he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Why? A fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit is good for nothing but but fire. I mean, it's like it's not producing. It's not accomplishing what it was planted for. Therefore, he says, by their fruits, you will know them. When someone comes saying, thus says the Lord, the most important question you can ask is, what do they teach about the Lord? What do they believe about the person and work of Jesus Christ? Is he a son of God or is he the son of God? Is he simply the Son of God or is he God the Son? Because he declares himself to be the Son of God and God the Son. Is he a Savior or a way or a good example or a wonderful teacher? Or is he, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life? Because when you ask those questions, what do they teach about Jesus? First John tells us if anyone denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he is anti-Christ, against Christ. Jesus said many false Christs, many false prophets, many antichrists would come, denying him, pulling disciples after themselves, warning us, forewarning us. So what do they teach about Jesus first and foremost? And then their works. Are they not only doing good things, but... Is it done in a loving manner, a gracious manner, a a fruitful manner? What about their ways? What about the witness? Who are they exalting or what? When people come exalting themselves, exalting their group, and listen, it's Jesus we exalt. If you look at our worship, the songs are about him and to him and for him, and they're all in response to what he's done for us. So who are we exalting? Who are we witnessing for and worshiping and pointing people to? Listen, if you're a believer and you've been struggling at all, and if you're a believer, no doubt there have been some struggles, and you've been wondering, man, what's going on? Where's God in this? If you've chosen the right door, And if you've chosen that that narrow and difficult path, well, yeah, there'll be some struggles, there'll be some trials, there'll be some temptations, there'll be some rejection, there'll be some persecution. But man, you're yoked together with Jesus. You've entered in through Jesus and you're growing in Jesus and you're walking with Jesus and representing Jesus and ultimately you will be with him for eternity. 
If you, though, are on the wrong path and you know it, if you've never entered in by coming to Jesus and confessing that he and he alone can save you, that his sacrifice and and not yours earns you righteousness, it's imputed, it's imparted, it's his gift. The wages of sin is death, the gift of God, everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Choose today and choose wisely. Your choice, your decision will determine your destiny. I truly appreciate the honesty of our Lord. I have heard many complain that the Bible is too exclusive and they want to believe there are many ways to God, or at least should be. But if that were the case, there would be no such thing as real truth. And the Lord loves us too much to sugarcoat the truth and too much to leave it up to us to create the truth. He is honest in saying the way is narrow, but we can rejoice knowing that he made a way for us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.